0: It's a great honor to be here. That <laughs> your pastor would trust the pulpit to me. I, I, like you said, I've not known him personally, uh, but I've known about him, and everything's good. And that's quite a testimony. That um, pastor has a good testimony. Just word of mouth that's been spread around, and I'm I'm appreciative of that, and uh, certainly glad to be here. I appreciate the songs that we sang tonight, and the. Uh, emphasis on reaching people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I grew up in a home that um, we were not religious. My mother had gone to church as a little girl, and some her Sunday school teacher, it was a community church, but her Sunday school teacher cared enough about her soul to tell her about Jesus Christ, and my mother was saved as a 10-year-old girl. Not having support from home and not being encouraged, she really didn't grow in the Lord and never followed the Lord in baptism and uh, kinda got away, uh, away from the Lord. She met my dad, they got married and uh, because they both had grown up on the farm and they now moved to the city and had um, good jobs, they both worked, they were glad to get engaged in city life. My dad loved sports, my mother went along with him and if there was some kind of a sporting event My folks went to that. So in the early years of their marriage, they spent their time. If there was a boxing match, they'd go to that. If there was a wrestling match, they would do that. They would go to the races. They did all kinds of things like that. Of course, you know, when two people get married, one of the things that generally comes along a little after that, children. My mother was blessed with me. I was the firstborn, and, and so uh, that I, I guess I put a cramp in their lifestyle because it changed a little bit after that. They began to think, "You know what? we can't go out every every night, and we can't do the all the things that we had to do. We have some responsibilities now, and so um, they, they began to to uh, settle down and, and uh, made friends within the community and then, as um, we started going to school, my mother had a, a concern for us that. You know, we'd stay occupied in the summertime when school is out because every parent knows what we generally say that, I think it's credited to Mark Twain, but uh, idle hands, the devil's workshop. Well, when you have little heathen, <clears throat> you know, they, they can get into all kinds of things. And so my mother tried to find uh, busy things for us to do through the summertime, uh, we went to camp, we got involved in scouting, and we did all those kinds of things. But one of the things we like to do on a, as a family on weekends, we went camping. If we weren't going camping, we were going to a ball game. We were doing something together as a family. I am so grateful and so thankful that I had two parents that I know this, that they loved each other, they loved us as children, and they involved themselves in our lives. But there was no place for God. My parents weren't against God. My dad was lost, didn't have any interest in it, but uh, really not like they were against him, it's just we have other things to do. Not too different than the way a lot of people live today. I'm not, I believe in God, and I think it's all great, and a little bit of religion would be good for everybody, and so, you know, some if you have time and you can go, it's all a good thing. <clears throat> but as we began to get a little older, my mother got a little more concerned about us, and began to think about some spiritual things. God began to work on her heart. One summer, <clears throat> we had a neighbor down the street came and knocked on our door and invited me and my younger brother and my sister to Vacation Bible School. Well, we'd gone to Vacation Bible School. I mean, if church was, we were, we were the kind of kids that every church in town was having a Vacation Bible School, and if they had it a different week, we went to all of them. That kept us busy, you know. It kind of kept us uh, uh, occupied with something that my mother determined was good. In going to the vacation Bible school, Faith Baptist Church, I remember we didn't go Monday because we were a little lazy. We slept in. It's me, it's summertime, you know, and we're, we're kids. <clears throat> but we went Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, listened to the lessons. On Friday, Russ Setterston, who was my teacher, began to explain the gospel in very clear terms. When we finished the class, we all went into the auditorium. Pastor Bill Simmons began to preach. I felt the conviction in my heart. I went forward in that service, and Brother Setterston came out and knelt with me at the altar and led me to Christ as a 10-year-old boy. God changed me that day. Now, our home was still like it had been. But when I came home excited and told my mother that I'd gotten saved, God began to stir in her heart the salvation that she received as a little girl. And so she began to take us to church now on Sunday mornings occasionally. My dad worked a lot, worked in retail sales. And if you work in retail sales, one of the things that you know is that if you're going to make money, you have to to be there when people want to shop. And so my dad was busy, and he was working a lot, so my mother would take us to church. We'd gone for a couple of months off and on. And I don't remember what the sermon was about, but I remember sitting in the row with my mother, and when the invitation was given, I remember my mother slipping out and walking, walking down, really not walking, almost running to the aisle, and tears streaming down her face. And she said, God, I know that you saved me. I want you to save my husband, and I want you to save, save my children, and I, I want you to do a work in our life. I'm willing to do whatever you want if you'll save my husband. I'm just 10, 11 years old when I see that, so that makes a pretty good impression on me that my mother has a broken heart to see my dad get saved. <clears throat> my dad, we continued to go off and on, and the pastor would go by my the place where my dad worked, and I, I don't know whether he bought stuff there, you know, that he didn't need. Whatever it was, he would find my dad and he would buy something, and every time that he he would buy something from my dad, he always witnessed to him. And he would talk to him about the Lord. Well, months have gone by. The pastor had gone to a fellowship meeting way out in the western part of Oklahoma. At noontime, um, he told the preachers that were there, I can't stay for the afternoon and the evening service. There's a man I need to go talk to about Jesus. He drove straight to our house. Tuesday night, he knocked on the door, began to talk to my dad about Christ. My dad got saved. Wow! you talk about change in a family? That made a dramatic change in our family. Things were different now. My dad didn't know this, but my, his mother, my grandma, had been saved, though it was not evident in her life, but she'd prayed for my dad. My dad was a child. My dad was born late in life. He had brothers and sisters that were quite a bit older than he was, and uh, there was a pretty good age gap between, between them. And, uh, but my, my grandma had prayed for my dad, and she'd actually dedicated my dad to the Lord, but she never told anyone about it my dad got saved. Well, when he got saved, we started going to church. My dad was a heavy smoker, two packs a day. When we went into church, I can remember he had, he had the, back then you wore, he wore the white shirts and the narrow black tie. He had two pockets. One was full of pins and the other one was these cigarettes. The first few times that we went, he still had the packs in there. Then I remember him pulling them out and throwing them up in a the dash. A few more weeks go by and then I remember him leaving them at home on the dresser and uh, not bringing them with him. <clears throat> Our family was all pretty excited about this because they believed my dad, if somebody needed some little bit of religion, my dad certainly needed. And so they were all very happy that my dad was now going to church. They really didn't care what church he went to and they didn't really care what he was learning, but at least he was going someplace. Well, we began to, to grow. My dad began to grow. We followed the Lord in baptism and uh, <clears throat> began to go to church. We started going to church Sunday morning. Then we started going Sunday night. A little while later, because my dad always bowled on Wednesday nights, we didn't go, but a little while later, my dad's in the bowling alley, threw a gutter ball, and all of a sudden he realized why am I here? I ought to be going to church on Wednesday night. So I quit the league and we started going on Wednesday nights. Now our family thought this was a little strange because here we are going Sunday morning, Sunday night. Now we started going Wednesday night. It wasn't long until my parents started going on Thursday nights. Now what's special about Thursday night? Well, Thursday night was this night that we called visitation. And so we'd go out and bother people. Now, for, my, for the family, my, my uh, grandparents and aunts and uncles and my cousins and all of them thought, you know, it's really great that you all have religion, but that you're going Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, that's three times in a week. Now you're going out on Thursday nights bothering people. And then when they found out that my parents got under conviction and began to tithe, they thought, you've joined a cult. Some of you have been there, haven't you? You know the pressure that comes from family when when those kind of changes take place in your life. But I'm going to tell you, it made a difference in our life. God changed us, and he changed the course and direction of our family. My dad is now saved. My mother is saved. I'm saved. My brother's saved. My sister's made a profession of faith a little later on. She's going to get that straightened out, and she's going to get saved. My dad had this, this idea about church, The pastor would ask for volunteers. My dad was first man to raise his hand every time. And his words were always this, I'll do it or have it done. My brother and I would slink down in the seats. We knew who have it done was. It wasn't my dad, and it wasn't my mom. He said, I got two boys. They can take care of this stuff. And so God began to bless wasn't long until God called my dad into the ministry. I'm a junior in high school. We packed up our bags, left town, went away to Bible college so my dad could prepare for the ministry. He's grown quite a bit in this time, There's been a lot of changes that have taken place in my dad's life. I'm so thankful for the mercy and grace of God, what he did for us as a family. When I'm 16 at camp, God touched my heart and life about the ministry. After high school, I went into Bible college, graduated, worked with my dad for a while in uh, Michigan, Uh, worked a couple of different places, went to Massachusetts on vacation, and wound up going back and staying, working in a church in Massachusetts. And eventually, God placed me at Grace Bible Baptist in Vernon. I'm so grateful. Um, I There was there was a time in my life when I, I told God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go but Connecticut. <laughs> I just didn't want to come. I didn't want to be here. When uh, Grace called and asked if I would come and candidate, I I was a little reluctant, but I said, Lord, I told you I'd go wherever you want, and I'm willing to do that, but I'm going to put qualifications on it that are so difficult that they won't call me and, you know, I can move out, I can move back to Texas or I can move to you know, someplace else and that'll be much better. So I had this list of expectations or list of things that I determined, you know, God, you need to do this, 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 and this, and then I'll know for sure that it's your call. And you know what he did? Top to bottom, everyone got checked off. <clears throat> so I, I, I came. And over the years, God has so blessed I'm grateful for the church that the Lord's given us. Uh, the, uh, the people are very good. They love the Lord. They love me. And uh, they care about people. Uh, they care about uh, souls. And so uh, I, I'm grateful for that, that, we, that this church and our church, that we have a like, uh, first we have a common Savior. Uh, we have a common faith, a common doctrine, and a common desire to see people brought uh, to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that the Lord has allowed me to do is, is uh, God's allowed me to go on a couple of mission trips. The first trip my wife and I went to, uh, it was an easy trip. We went to Ireland and England. They speak English. They're like us. It was easy, easy to go. In 2004, a, um, the, the war in Iraq had, had broken out, and Iraq was under the... the um, Coalition provisional government. In in essence, it was a United States territory. One of the preachers had been in contact with some refugees who had gone to Jordan. And so a couple of preachers had gone to Jordan. They'd met with the Iraqi refugees, and they were interested in somebody coming and working with them and helping them. And one particular group was interested in, you know, we, we have an interest in getting a church started. Well, <clears throat> um, Robert Lewis went met with them a little bit, and in that group there was a man uh, by the name of, of um, Ronnie George. <clears throat> Ronnie was a, um, a, a an Assyrian. He was not. He was. Um, uh, he was a, in in uh, most Islamic countries and most Middle Eastern countries. People are classified either as as a Muslim or a Christian. Christian simply means that you were born to Christian parents. It doesn't mean that you're a Christian. It just means that you, you're not Muslim. Ronnie was in that. Uh, but Ronnie had been one to the Lord <clears throat> uh, through an evangelist that had, had passed through, and, and um, uh, he had a desire. Uh, so so uh, my friend met with him and gave him some materials and some books. One of the books that he gave him was The Trail of Blood. Ronnie translated it into uh, uh, whatever it was for, for uh, I, I think I don't think it was Arabic but something that he translated it into for, for them and he did that within a couple of nights. And so Ronnie had a real interest in getting a church started. So Brother Lewis came back to the States and then in February of, of um, uh, 2004 he asked for several preachers to go with him uh, to Baghdad to meet with Ronnie and to see if 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 we could work with Ronnie and um, help him get a church started in in Baghdad, this is quite an eye opener for me because i can 't imagine that there are people who believe like we do in any of the middle Eastern countries, but come to find out there there, there are people who, who believe the Bible, who, who know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, and there are churches that are like ours in, in a number of these countries. Not a lot of them, but there are some. Um, uh, there have been missionaries in, in Lebanon and Syria and um, uh, in, in Jordan uh, to, to a little bit uh, for some time. But it's kind of an eye-opener for me um, that there are there churches like this. But Ronnie um, wants to get a church start. So February 2014, uh, Brother John Kelly, myself, Brother Kurt DeVitro, uh, Brother Garland Carey, along with uh, Brother Lewis, the five of us, uh, and then there are two other guys that that came along from uh, South Dakota. When we got to um, uh, Jordan, we we, um, hired two guys to take us in on two suburbans to take us into Baghdad and we drove. It's a 12-hour drive. It's across the desert. There's nothing there, and um, we took bottles of water with us, but we didn't think anything about food because, I mean, we're used to here. You don't have to go very far, and there's a McDonald's or Burger King or something, you know, uh, (laughs) uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Nothing out there in the desert. Nothing. Brother Kelly had... uh, in the hotel that we stayed in, they had a thing of candy and they had a thing of, of uh, uh, sodas and other things. Brother Kelly didn't see the price list on the candy and saw the basket and just dumped it all in. So when we got ready to check out, he had about $30 worth of candy. The good thing is, is that he did it because we didn't have anything to eat along the way except for this $30 worth of candy that he had and a few bottles of water on our trip. <clears throat> It was a little scary because um, the, the two drivers professed that they couldn't speak English, and so we drove. Uh, it was a four-lane highway uh, once we got to the Iraqi border, and we paid our $5 to enter. And it's um, <clears throat> a long ways across there. We drove a little over 100 miles an hour in two Suburbans into Baghdad. That's about eight, nine hours across there. So it was a little bit... I I looked down to see uh, where my seatbelt was. I thought, I I think I'll put this on. I didn't have one. And I said, you know what? I'm here because I I think the Lord directed me to come, and I'm not even worried about it anymore, and we just went on. When we got into Baghdad, we met with Ronnie. And uh, uh, in the mornings, we would have classes with Ronnie and instruct him and uh, question him and talk to him. Part of our concern was we don't know how long of a open door and opportunity there is to help get a church started and get the gospel out. Uh, who knows what's gonna happen? So uh, we worked with Ronnie and um, <clears throat> we had a plan that at the end of two weeks, that if we felt like that Ronnie was qualified, that, that uh, under the authority of Blackstone Valley Baptist Church in, in uh, Woonsocket, Rhode Island, we would ordain Ronnie and uh, uh, organized the church. On Saturday, uh, before we did all this, um, Brother Kelly and myself and uh, Brother DeVitro and uh, Brother Kerry, um, we had a driver that took us around different places, and um, he'd talk to us about uh, going down to um, the site of the Old Babylon. <clears throat> um. Well, we went ahead and took the trip. Once we got going, I I realized it probably wasn't a wise thing to do, but we were already there. Uh, We had a safe trip going down. A little scary once we got there, because it was covered by Polish troops, and they had machine guns everywhere. And when we pulled up in the van, of course, they pointed them at us, just because they didn't know who we were. And we kind of talked among ourselves about who would get out and go up walk up first and tell them who we were and what we wanted to do. And so Brother Kelly got the short straw and was the one that was to do that. <clears throat> so he did, and and um, we talked to them for a little bit. And they said, well, we have to run you through security, but after that, if you want to, you can come back and go through that. So they were very, very kind uh, to do that, but we couldn't go that day. On the return trip home, uh, we were driving and really kind of excited because I mean, here we are, we've, we've read our Bibles and we've, we've read about the, the um, uh, children of Israel being carried away captive to, ba- to, to Iraq, uh, to, to Babylon. Uh, we've read about uh, Daniel and the different things. And so we're talking about, as we look around the sites and where we are, we're saying, this is kind of exciting because here's the place where some of this Bible history took place. So it's really pretty exciting for us because uh, we've not been there before. We've not taken a tour of Israel. We've not taken a tour of Jordan or any of the places. So it's really pretty exciting for us. On the way back, um, we came into a town, and as we drove through the town, there was a um, group of men in a car, two cars beside the road. We drove by them rather slow. Um, They recognized us as Westerners, as Americans, and... uh, Began to follow us. We were uh, following a a caravan of um, um, oil trucks protected by the U.S. military. When they turned off, the men drove up beside us and rolled down the windows and with AK 47s began to shoot the van. Brother Kelly was killed um, right at the very beginning. Um, I was shot in the shoulder. Of course, there's you know, bullets and glass flying everywhere, and we just laid down in the seats. I thank God that um, our driver had the presence of mind not to stop, but he kept driving, uh, went across into oncoming traffic, and that got us free from the men that were shooting at us. And then he took us to one, their version of a clinic or a hospital. I had to settle this in my own heart and mind <clears throat> that God was in control and that. God could have prevented this from happening, period. God could have allowed it to be somebody besides Brother Kelly. God could have allowed it to be all of us or any combination. So I had to settle this that, first of all, I believe we were acting on what we believe that God wanted us to do by by going and helping Ronnie and this church in, in Baghdad get started. As far as the shooting and those things, then I also had to settle in my mind this, that God was, God was in control of all of this. And that again, God could have prevented it all. God could have caused it so that all, or could have allowed, I wouldn't say cause, cause is not right to say because uh, God doesn't do that. But God could have allowed, Uh, Any combination of things to happen. Brother Kelly was killed. Before Brother Kelly was uh, killed, I can remember him calling me a number of times and saying, I'm going to talk to my family. I've got some family members who are lost. I wish you'd pray with me about them. I I I want to see them get saved. And he would go and he'd visit, and they didn't get saved. And he would go and he'd visit and he didn't get saved. And I can remember a number of times that he would call me on the phone and said, I'm, I'm headed to Connecticut. I have some family members down along the shoreline. I want to go talk to them about the Lord. I'm praying that they'll get saved. Pray with me. And so we did. <clears throat> After Brother Kelly was killed and we came back and uh, had his funeral, three of his family members got saved. I would tell you right now, if Brother Kelly could had the opportunity to come back, he'd tell us this, it's worth it all. Amen. It's worth it all. I've been praying for them to get saved for a long time. If this is what it took, if this is what it took for them to get saved, I rejoice, I rejoice, I rejoice. And I tell you, he's rejoicing in heaven now because of the work that God did in seeing some people saved. And <clears throat> I could tell you some more things about how God prepared Mrs. Kelly and that Um, an enormous amount of grace God bestowed upon her. And I would just say this for all of us, that when we find ourselves in situations that we don't understand and they just overwhelm us, if you will trust in the Lord, His grace will always be sufficient. Always. Brother Ronnie had... um, several threats on his family, one attempt on his life and the life of his family. Brother Ronnie left Baghdad, moved to Toronto, and stayed with his brother. A couple of years ago, I went to a fellowship meeting. An Iraqi man living in the United States said, I've been looking for you. And I said, okay, here I am. Said, you were, with, you were part of that group that came to Baghdad, and you were part of the group that worked with Ronnie and worked with those believers to get that church started. And I said, yes. He said, I want you to know this. I was recently in Baghdad. I met with that group of people and they said to say, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Now they are, they're not Muslims. Uh, They, they are, uh, well, they're saved now and they're Christians, but they belong to that Christian community. A lot of people don't realize this, but in, in Iraq before the war, there were over 3 million people who identified as Christian that were not necessarily saved. Those were the people that Ronnie wanted to witness to and those people that Ronnie wanted to get saved. I'm thankful that there is a, a, uh, another church in Baghdad, New Testament Baptist Church in Baghdad, uh, that there is another church that's uh, uh, started in Mosul and uh, another church up in Erbil. And so I'm thankful that God, God has a light. And one of the th- just, you know, just the amazing thing to me is that, that God, God, has had a, God has always had a light and that people who have come to him, that God has always had a light for them to come to if they'll just come. And so I'm grateful for that. I want to ask you to turn your Bibles with me, if you would, tonight to the book of Job. And I want to take just a few minutes because I, I think it relates to uh, the experience that I had in, in uh, Baghdad. And um, uh, uh, coming back home, <clears throat> I'm grateful for what, for what God, God did and his hand of protection. And I, I, I've had to learn some lessons along the way. And in, in those, I believe that it's strengthened me. It's helped me to be um, um, more fearless, so to speak, in the sense of, of having a confidence in God and that, uh, you know what, I, the, the fear of the Lord uh, is the beginning of wisdom and the fear of man is a snare and a trap. And you don't have to be afraid of men no matter what. Learn to fear God. Walk with Him. I'm not going to read all of it, but Job 38, verse number 1 says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Many of you are familiar with the book of Job, how that God says that Job was a good man that he was an upright man, a man that feared God, eschewed evil. As a matter of fact, God just kind of brags a little bit about the man Job. What What a wonderful man that Job is. But along about the way, unbeknownst to Job, the devil says to God, Job, the only reason he serves you is because you blessed him and prospered him and everything's going great. And if things went bad in his life, he'd turn away from you. God said, okay, you can touch his life. The things of his life, you can't take his life, but you can touch the things of his life. He lost his children, lost his herds, his cattle, all those things. It says in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. A little later on, God said, if you consider my servant Job, nobody like him. And the devil said again, you know what? He just serves you because you protected him. And the Lord said, okay, I'll remove the hand of protection. You can touch him. And the devil smote Job with boils from the sole of his feet to the top of his head. I can't imagine what it would be like that in one day you'd discover that you've lost all your financial resources, everything. The next day you've lost your health. If there's one thing that most of us as Americans that we put a lot of value in, we put a lot of value in First of all, having some wealth. Let's just be honest. Come on. We're all having some money in the bank, having preparation for retirement or for whatever. There's a certain amount of security to our jobs and to our financial well-being. Sometimes we're more dependent upon that than we are God. And then the other thing, we, we all know this, that Vitally important to us that we have lots and lots of health care. And that's a big thing in the United States, having health care. Who knows what could happen? We could have some kind of catastrophic illness and not have the money to pay for it. That would be horrible. We could go bankrupt, all those things. I just want to tell you having health insurance doesn't, doesn't guarantee good health. We have a great physician. Sometimes we're more dependent upon our health insurance than we are the great physician, sometimes. So Job has lost all of his financial resources. He's now lost his health. He has three friends that come to him, and they're there to console him. They're there to to comfort him as best they can. And after about a week of just sitting there with him in not being able to say anything, they all began to talk. And so Job goes through it. The book of Job goes through a series of these three friends, all of them talking to Job and trying to explain what they think is the real problem with why Job's in the condition he's in. Basically, and I'm just going to give you a short, simple version of this. The, the basic understanding is this. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to Job. Job, you've got some sin in your life. You've got some problem in your life. If you'd just get right with God, he would take care of all those things because prosperity and health is an indication that God is with you and suffering and poverty is an indication God is not with you. That, in essence, is what his friends were telling him. Uh, they say because this is our observation. This is what we've always seen. Uh, this is what we've been told down through history. So, so this is how it comes. And Job, as good a man as he is, Job also has a little bit of an issue. He's going to have to learn some things from the Lord. <clears throat> Job's issue is this, and you can read about it all through Job. He, he's a good man, but he's, it's always this. God, if you and I could just sit down together and I could explain to you what my situation is, I know that you would understand and help me. Now, I want to suggest to us tonight that sometimes when we're hurting, and sometimes when we're in the midst of trouble, sometimes when we're struggling financially, sometimes when we're struggling physically with our health, we're thinking the same thing. God, I don't understand. I'm going to church. I'm giving of my tithes and offerings. I'm trying to do the best that I can. I'm passing out some tracts once in a while. I'm trying to help some people. And Lord, I I think I'm living a a pretty good life and I don't understand why it is that I'm suffering and why it is that I'm struggling financially. I don't understand this. If we could just sit down and talk, God, I know that we could negotiate this and we could settle this. You You would hear me and understand where I am And I know you could fix it. But imagine this in verse number one of chapter 38, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Having grown up in Oklahoma and lived in Oklahoma, Missouri for a while, I've seen a few tornadoes go through and I've seen what they do. And... um, uh, even, even living here when we've had the hurricanes come through and uh, once in a while we have a few tornadoes that come through here. And you know the sound. I mean, it just gets loud and it just gets noisy. And I understand that somebody that's in the midst of a tornado, it is like jet engines. It is like next, standing next to a freight train. All the rumbling and the noise and all these things. And it says that God spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. I don't know what Job expected. Elijah heard the still small voice. But God doesn't always speak in a still small voice. Sometimes he speaks out of the whirlwind. And God says to Job out of the whirlwind, All right, Job, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me." Some time ago, one of the universities is having a seminar, and they've they've got a group of people gathered together in a room, and they begin to spend their time discussing the subject of adult education. Suddenly, a young lady just kind of breezes into the room, and as she comes into the room without looking at the paper, without having been in on the conversation, she all of a sudden begins to inject herself in everything that's being talked about and uh, begins to answer the questions. And uh, she, she really hasn't even listened to all the questions, but she's given all the answers. And in a little bit, everybody's just kind of looking at her. Who do you think you are? Well, uh, as that goes on, Pretty soon, somebody stopped her and said, young lady, we don't understand why you've just interjected yourself into this conversation without having listened to what we're talking about or read the paper. Her comment was, well, I just got my master's degree and I thought you'd like to know some things that I know about this. people in the the room looked around at each other and someone finally spoke up and she said, every one of the people sitting here has a doctorate in education. Some of them have two or three. She put herself in a position to talk about some things she didn't know about. And this really is where Job was, that he had God, if you could just let me sit down and talk with you, I know we could reason this out. <clears throat> and so the Lord says to Job, all right, Job, gird up thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. God's going to go through a series of questions, and Job doesn't know how to answer. And the questions have to do with God, his um, Uh, omniscience, his omnipotence, as he created and made all things. Just look at the first question. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who has stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? God's saying to Job, where were you When I created the heavens and the earth and I spread the stars throughout the heavens, where were you? In other words, Job, there's some things here that you don't understand that are beyond your ability to comprehend. Job, there's some things that are a whole lot bigger than you are. Moving along as God begins to speak to Job about this very thing, as he answered to Job out of the whirlwind, and told Job to gird up his loins and, and, and answer him. God said, in verse 5, Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched a line upon it? Job? Do you have any idea how far it is from one star to another star? Do you have any idea how big the universe is? Did you get a ruler and measure all this? Were you there, Job, with a measuring stick to figure all this stuff out? You know, one of the wonderful things about God is that he laid all this out, and he laid it out with such order. One of the verses that I came across not long ago is a verse that just is is a, a, a it kind of excites me, especially in wintertime, because it says this, he saith to the snow, be thou on the earth. He saith to the snow, be thou on the earth. You know, you know, All my life I've heard people say, well, you have all these snowflakes and they're all different and uh, there's no two snowflakes alike. Now, how anybody could figure that out, I have no idea. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how in the world you could figure that out. I don't know whether they're duplicates or not, I have no clue. It's just beyond me to comprehend and understand that. But I'm gonna tell you this, God says to the snow, be thou on the earth, I believe God directs every snowflake. Be thou on the earth, he knows where it's gonna be. He also says to the small rain, he tells it where to go. He tells the heavy rain, the big rain, the hail, the storms, God also directs all those. It always amazes me, and I'm sure that it does you. You listen to the weather report. <clears throat> the last one we were supposed to get up in our area, we were supposed to get um, 8 to 12. We, might, we maybe got an inch. We might have got two inches if we have that. And their expectation is that we're to believe them, that they can tell us five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road what global climate change is doing. But the only way we know the weather is by what's happening today. One of the radio commercials I listened to, I think it's a Geico commercial, and it he, and he, and he says this, And now for the weather, tonight it'll be dark. I mean, that's, that's easy, right? <clears throat> God said, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Job doesn't have an answer. I'm gonna tell you, there are things about God that we do not know and we will not understand. God knows all things. And when I, when I think about that, I, just, I get all excited because I know I'm not even close, but it's just exciting for me that I know who knows everything. I know the one that knows all things. I laugh a little bit. Once in a while, you knock on doors, you get out on the street, you pass out some tracks, you run into somebody that's an atheist. When somebody tells me they're an atheist, my first question to them is, are you an honest atheist or a dishonest atheist? Well, some of them will tell you, well, I'm an honest atheist. I said, okay, if you're an honest atheist, then you, you make a declarative statement, there is no God. But how do you know? Well, I don't know, I, 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 but I just don't believe there's a God. Oh, so you don't know. Well, then you're not really an atheist, are you? You're more of an agnostic. You don't know, can't know. So let's be honest about this. You're not really an atheist, you're an agnostic. Well, okay, now if you're dishonest, you'll just say there is no God, we're not talking and away you go. Now well, that's a dishonest atheist. Dishonest because he doesn't know whether there's a God or not. He can't prove whether there's a God or not, but he's already made up his mind and we're not talking about it anymore. That's dishonest. <clears throat> so the agnostic or the skeptic, it would seem to me that if there is a God, it'd be important to know him. It just seemed to me. If there is a God, it would be important to know him. Have you ever read your Bible? Oh, yeah, I've read at it. Most of the time, they've read at it, and they've read other books about it, but they didn't get into it and read it. It's a living book. It's alive. One of the things that it'll do, if you get in it to search the truth, it'll light the way for you. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And God's word is light. You wanna know the truth? Get into the book. It'll tell you. It'll tell you. There are wonderful things about God and how great a God that he is, that he knows all these things. He puts all these things in order. Everything is under his hand. And God, it's all upheld by the word of his power and everything continues to work because God said so. As a matter of fact, God said this, that he was going to keep springtime and harvest, summer, winter, God's going to keep all those things in order. They're going to continue because he said so and he put them there. When we move on over a little bit to chapter 40, we find this, that God again, moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am vile, what shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered uh, uh, then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, all over again, here we are back in the whirlwind. So again, here's all this enormous noise and this huge wind, a, 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 a tornado uh, uh, swirling around, all these things, and God answers Job out of this. And in verse number six, then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, "Gird up thy loins like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Hast thou an arm like God, or hast thou thunder, uh, or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Deck now thys- deck thyself now with majesty and excellency, and array thyself with glory and beauty." So the second test for Job is this, God's justice and judgment, God's rule and reign over the earth as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he says to Job, all right, Job, you got some answers for me now? Now, what's, what is the lesson behind all this? As Job has, has listened to, to this and, and God has spoken to him, it's really, again, about all this. The whole entire time of Job, Job has pleaded with God. God, if you you and I can just meet together, if we can sit down and we can go over this, you'll understand where I am, and I know we can work this out. And God's saying to Job, have you considered creation and the order of things and how I put things in order? Do you understand all there is to know about that? Then he says to Job, do you understand my judgment, my justice? See, what I'm trying to say tonight is that we're not peers with God and that we'll we'll not understand everything there is to know about God. Thankfully, God's given us a book. We can know a lot of things. This is as much as we're capable of knowing and understanding. But our God is a great God. He is knows all things. He is all powerful, and there are some things that are beyond our comprehension. I I probably shouldn't delight in this, but it's it's always a little entertaining for me when we go. um, Occasionally, I go with my wife shopping. What I prefer to do is get a coffee and sit on a bench and watch people that's pretty good entertainment for me. I've always said this, that I hope that I'm as much entertainment to other people as they are to me because I get a lot of enjoyment out of watching other people. And if I can have a cup of coffee and sit on a bench and watch people. And it always fascinates me when I see a young mother go by, she's got two kids, one or two kids, sometimes three kids by the hand, dragging them through the store. She's frazzled trying to to do whatever she wants to do, shop or whatever, and the kids are whining this and whining that. And then I see her get down on her knees in front of them and try to reason with them. And I'm thinking, come on, mom, you're 30-something, the kid's three. <laughs> the ability for a three-year-old to understand what a 30-year-old understands, it's a pretty big gap right there. Sometimes you need to just say to them, mommy said so, we're doing it this way, and go on, because... They don't have the capacity to understand and reason with you. Do you know, before God, we're like little children. And while we know some things, part of our problem as human beings is we often think we know a whole lot more than we really do. And we're not nearly as smart as we think we are. And there are some things that God does and some things that God works out and some things going... We have to learn to get out of our little box because we understand things based upon our box. This is where I live. This is who I interact with. These are my problems. God, I wish you understood my problems so you could fix them. And that, that in essence, is what Job is saying. And I'm saying that for me and for us We need to learn and understand that God works over some pretty big things. We're a small part of the big work that God is doing. Job could not see the great spiritual battle that was going on in heaven. He was a part of it, but he couldn't comprehend it, couldn't understand all of it. You see, sometimes we find ourselves in the circumstances of life that we don't understand and we don't comprehend. Because frankly, God couldn't explain them to us. We couldn't understand them if he did explain them to us because it's way over our head. So what do we do? Well, if you look at how Job responded, you find in chapter 42, Job finally got it worked out. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything And that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Remember, if you go back into chapter 38 and verse number two, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? And so Job is now going back to what, what he said to the Lord earlier, and he's saying in chapter 42 and verse number, verse number 3, "'Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes.'" When Job finally came to the realization that God is not a peer, that God is bigger and greater, and that God's working on things that Job can't possibly understand, but Job came to the conclusion, I can trust God even when I don't understand, even when I don't know, I can trust Him and depend on Him. My friend, that's what you and I have to learn. When I came back from Baghdad I had to settle the issue. Why was Brother Kelly killed and I wasn't? Why was he killed at all? Why did God allow that to happen at all? I mean, we're just there. We're just trying to help get a church started. Why did it work out all the way it was? I don't know. I just know this I have a God that I can trust. And I have a God that was working out things that I don't understand. That he has things going on that are far bigger than I am. And I'm just thankful and grateful that he included me to be a little part of that. And that I got to be involved in something that God was doing that was great. When we get to heaven, I think I'll have a better understanding of all the things. But I'm excited for right now just to know this. That God took enough interest in me. First of all, in great mercy, to reach down and save me. And then began to work in my life that my dad got saved, my brother got saved, my sister got saved. Our family was transformed. My dad called into the ministry. Then I was called into the ministry. God's done some wonderful things in my life. That, that God has used me to reach some people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and have had the wonderful privilege to sit down with someone and explain the gospel to them and hear them say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. To know that they got saved and watch them to follow the Lord in baptism, begin to grow in the Lord and commit themselves to wholly follow Him. I'm so glad. That that God cares enough about me to, to move and to work in my life. And occasionally I find myself, things happening in my life, I don't quite understand all of them. I just know this that God's always proven himself to be trustworthy, always. When you read the last part of the book of Job, you find this that God began to restore to Job all the things. And he said to Job, You need to pray for your friends. They're in trouble. You need to pray for them. Job began to pray and interceded on their behalf. It's interesting that there's only a couple other places where Job is mentioned in the Bible outside of the book of Job. Both of those times, Job was mentioned to this as someone who knew how to get on his knees before God and get a hold of the throne and talk with God. God recognized him as a great man of intercession. For us, we can learn to trust God and let things that you don't understand drive you to your knees, drive you to your prayer closet where you just get on your face before God and say, God, I, I don't have to understand. I'm not going to demand of you that you explain everything to me. I'm just going to trust you. And I'm confident of this. Romans eight twenty eight still true. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God, I know you're going to do something. I don't understand it. I just know this. You're good. You're great. You're at work. And I'm going to rejoice in it now. And I'm going to rejoice in it when we get to heaven. Because I have a great God. I'm going to ask if you'd stand with me. and Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We have a great and wonderful God. He knows everything that's going on and we never have to doubt and we never have to fear. You can trust him. Father, I do a work in each of our hearts and lives that we would just trust you and depend upon you. That we might have great confidence in who our God is. And that having that confidence and Uh, that assurance that we would just go forth with a boldness to tell the world what a great Savior. I pray in Christ's name. Preacher.